it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to be able to preach the Word of God to everybody here. And it's a blessing that God has given pastors that when He lays certain things on their hearts, especially over a period of time, that they have the ability to come and, and share their heart with their congregation. And that is where we're at this morning. Just things, I listen to podcasts and I listen to sermons all the time. I try to stay abreast of what's going on in the news. And there's one particular item or subject or issue that keeps coming up over and over and over. And we are going to see it come up more and more and more as the midterm elections come forward. And the reason why it's coming up is because on June 24th of this year, the Supreme Court overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court ruling that gave women the constitutional right to an abortion. The Supreme Court ruling in 1973 would result in millions of babies to lose their lives before they were ever born in the last 50 years. That court ruling caught many who believed in the sanctity of human life off guard. And since then, there has been a concerted effort to have that ruling reversed because those who are pro-life rightly believe the Constitution doesn't address the issue of abortion or give a woman the right to an abortion constitutionally. It is believed the 1973 Supreme Court bowed to cultural pressure and judicially created a right that never constitutionally existed. And that fight has been going on for 50 years now, and that changed on June 24th. After 50 years, the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade decision, and now the decision on abortion is back to the states. Abortion is still legal in many states, but this one court ruling will save thousands of babies' lives. Now, as God's people, we need to ensure that we do not find ourselves in a similar position that we were in in 1973. You see, we may have won an important battle in the fight against abortion, but the war rages on, and we need to know that. Those who do not hold to a pro-life position are livid. They have already ramped up their fights in numerous court filings in Congress and in the White House to bring abortion back under federal control. In fact, the abortion issue has become the number one issue for the Democratic Party coming up in the midterm elections. In some ways, they are extremely pleased that the Supreme Court made this decision on the past, this past June because as a part, they were fighting an uphill battle to do well in the midterm elections because of inflation, the poor economy in general, and backlash on how they've handled COVID and many other issues. But now, they feel this ruling on abortion by the Supreme Court will be the one issue that will enable them to keep their majority in the House of Representatives and possibly give them a majority in the Senate. All other issues have taken a back seat to this one, and you're going to see it in the ads. Maybe not so much here in South Carolina. You will see it, but you're going to see it throughout the United States on a national level and on local level. They are counting on abortion, on this abortion issue to greatly sway the outcome of the midterm elections in their favor. And I just want to give you an example of what I mean by that. Just a few days ago, President Biden promised a group of supporters that if they can keep the majority in the House and gain the majority in the Senate, he himself will introduce a bill to the legislate a woman's right to abortion in all 50 states. He is so confident this one issue is enough to sway the elections that he believes he will be able to sign that legislation into law by the end of January. The proposed federal legislation 
would cost millions of babies their lives because all 50 states would be forced to allow a baby to be aborted all the way up just before the baby is born. We must not be caught off guard again. The war is not over and we need to be prepared to speak the truth of God's word about the sanctity of human life. We need to work hard to protect the life of a baby in its mother's womb. And my goal this morning is to better equip each of us to speak the truth of God's word about the sanctity of human life. And I hope to do this by showing you some statistics that will uh, help you see this is a serious, deadly issue for hundreds of thousands of babies, by also revealing some of the tactics used to promote the abortion of proponents' agenda, and by looking at what God's Word says about the sanctity of life. We're going to try to go over all of that this morning. In other words, we need to look at, especially in the part about God's Word, where God says, you and I must stand on the issue of the sanctity of life. We have to understand, and we're going to come to the conclusion that if you're a Christ follower, there's not another position to take except to say, I will protect unborn children. There's not, a, there's not an option if you're a Christ follower. So let's pray as we begin to look at this. Father God, we're talking about a sensitive issue this morning. We're talking about a heated issue. And Father, I pray that we would keep our hearts and our minds open to what you would have us say. Lord, I pray that our emotions and our thoughts and our ideas would take a back seat to what your word says. Lord God, I pray that as I speak, that it would be in a way that brings honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, just to open up with statistics, just to show you that this is, I'm not overblowing the issue about abortion in the United States. The Guttmacher Institute and the Centers for Disease Control are the two primary organizations that collect United States National Statistics on Abortion. Those are the, the main two. The Guttmacher Institute con contacts every abortion provider in the United States to, find, to, to ask their questions, while the CDC relies on voluntary reporting, which does not include every state. In 2021, there were 930,000 legal abortions in the United States. Almost a million babies were aborted in the United States in 2021. Over 20% of all pregnancies in the U.S., listen to that, 20% end in abortion. 61% of Americans believe abortion should be legal most of the time. The top reason given for getting an abortion, which is about 25%, is not being ready for a child. It's just not my time right now. 62% of abortion patients have some religious affiliation. A 2020 World Population Report released by the United Nations estimates that there are nearly 1.2 million baby girls aborted each year solely on the basis of gender selection. Nothing wrong with the child, they just don't want a girl. 1.2 million babies. These are just a few of many disturbing statistics reported by reputable organizations. I hope and pray that you see abortion as a seriously deadly issue for almost a million babies in the United States a year and millions more throughout the world every year. As we will see in a few minutes, God's people must speak out against abortion and do what we can to save as many children as we can. There are many tactics that abortion proponents use to popularize their abortion agenda. And I just want to look at a couple of them. First, they actually downplay statistics. They don't want these statistics to really enter your mind and, and for you to crunch the numbers. For example, pro-choice supporters say that the third trimester abortions, that's all abortions that are 
past the 21-22 week time frame are rare and make up a small percentage of the abortions. They are correct. Third trimester abortions only make up about 1% of the total abortions performed each year. So they're correct in, that, in stating that. But if you take just a minute to do the math, you find out that over 9,000 babies per year are aborted in the third trimester. 9,000 babies that are 21 or 22 weeks old in the womb are aborted. Yes, it's only 1%, but think of what a 21, 22-week-old baby looks like and what it is to be killed and removed from its mother. Abortion proponents also change terms to hide the act. They change terms to hide the act. You will notice the term abortion is very rarely used by pro-choice proponents. Why? Because the word abortion carries a stigma with it that never can be overlooked. It speaks directly to the fact that a life is being aborted, that a life is being ended. So they choose terms and phrases that allude to abortion without having to say the word abortion. And this was very, very evident when the White House commented on the possibility of the Supreme Court reversing the Roe versus Wade decision. I'm quoting what was said. Over the last four years, critical rights like the right to health care and the right to choose have been under attack. The president and vice president are devoted to ensuring that every American has access to health care, including reproductive health care, regardless of their income, zip code, race, health, insurance status, or immigration status. As such, the president is committed to codifying or legislating Roe, regardless of the outcome of this case. What were they talking about? Abortion. In that whole response, did you hear the word abortion? It was supplemented by health care, reproductive health care, a woman's right to choose. All those things are terms or euphemisms used to refer to abortion so they don't have to use the word. Notice that even though the case before the Supreme Court was solely focused on abortion, the White House's comments never did a mention abortion. I hope you can see that the issue of abortion has not gone away by any means. Proponents of a woman's right to an abortion are angry that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. They are determined to recover the ground they have lost in that ruling by any means possible. It has taken 50 years for pro-life proponents to win an important battle in the fight to save the lives of those in the womb, and we must not allow ourselves to think of the war over, over abortion is done, that we can just put it on the back burner. The question that we must consider is, why must we fight? Why is this our issue? Why must we clearly speak out against abortion? This is our fight, and I want to be very clear about this, because God has clearly shown in His Word each child in the womb is a person made in His image, and no one has the right to take that person's life. That's why we, it's our fight. We are God's people. His views, His viewpoints are our viewpoints. And He says, the unborn children are people made in His image. And that's what I want to look at for the rest of the time together. You have the, the idea now, you, you understand maybe a little bit better how important this issue is, that it's not a small issue. It is an issue that is going to greatly impact the midterm elections. It's, a great, it's an issue that's going to impact millions of babies' lives. And so let's see what the Bible says about the sanctity of human life. The foundation for the belief in the sanctity of human life is that God sees human life as being different than any other life He created. God sees human life 
mankind's life different than any other kind of life. And I want everybody to take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Being made in God's image sets humanity apart from the rest of creation. We see in that passage that we are not like the animals. They are not our equals. They are not persons in the same sense that we are because they were not created in God's image. God created man with several of his own attributes, which which gives us a personhood that is different than the animals. Like God, we have the capacity to love and hate, to understand, to think, to act, to choose, to build, to create, and feel in ways that animals cannot possibly do. Because we are made in God's image, He sees our life as being significantly more valuable than that of any animal that walks the planet. And we see this in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. This is after Noah and the flood, and here's what God tells Noah as the world begins to repopulate. And Noah blessed God and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For you... For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. That is a really, really key verse. He says, for your lifeblood, for a man's lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. He's going to require a payment. And it says, not only just from man to man, but also if a beast kills a man. He says, I'm going to require a reckoning. And then if you look at verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. We see very, very clearly in Genesis chapter 9 that animals and men are not equal. There is a difference in their life. There is a difference in how God sees the life that they have. What makes human life so special? For God made man in what? His own image. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us very different. God has sanctified human life. He has set it apart from animal life. And as we've read, it is a grave thing to take the life of another human being. And this leads us to another really, really important question that is at the forefront of the abortion controversy, the, the issue. When does this human life that God says you shall not destroy, when does it begin? That's a very important question. When does human life begin? And as I said, this has been a key question in the abortion debate, and there have been many opinions proposed, but I believe a simple reading of God's Word settles the debate for Christ followers. Human life begins at conception, period. Human life begins at conception. And this truth begins to take shape even before conception, It begins to take place even before conception. God sees the unborn as person even before they are conceived. Take a look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before, this is God speaking, before I formed you in the womb, when was this? 
before conception. I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. God says, I knew you before you were ever conceived. I set your life up for what it was supposed to be before you were ever conceived. I knew you. God considered Jeremiah a person when? Before he was ever conceived, because God, it was part of God's plan to have him become a man. God knew Jeremiah before he was ever conceived. God set him apart. God knows who we are before we were ever conceived, and we are part of his plan before we were ever conceived. And the psalmist confirms this. Look at what it says in Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw, your eyes, God's eyes, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed before me, when as yet there was none of them. When were the days of your life set before you were ever conceived? There's nothing that we can do to change what God has said. Our days are set. You're not going to extend your day one second. You're not going to lose your life one second earlier than the time that God has said, this is what I've set for you. And then we have Job. Listen to what Job says. Job has lost his family, has lost everything. And this is one of his responses to that. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. What is God telling Job? Or what is Job responding about his knowledge of God? My days are set. I'm not going to pass one more or less than another one. My days are set. The Bible clearly reveals that God sees the unborn as persons even before they are conceived. The Bible also reveals and continues this thought, unborn are persons at the time of conception. And let's look at Psalm chapter 139 again, verses 13 through 16. For you informed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet were none. When did God see the baby as being a person? At conception, before his form was ever made, before he ever looked like a human, God said, this is a life, this is a human life, and this is a person. No other passage so clearly teaches that God sees life at beginning at conception. When these passages are simply read at face value, there is no way God's people can ever say life begins at some other time other than conception. We find something very interesting in Exodus, that human life is precious even before birth. Human life is so precious that there were laws protecting it even before a child was born in the Old Testament law. Look at Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. When men strive together, what are they doing? They're fighting. So we have a disagreement about something, and two men are fighting over this disagreement. And hit a pregnant woman, woman so that her child comes out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him. So basically, if she miscarriages or she has the baby because she was bumped and the baby is okay, uh, then there's just a fine. And he shall pay as the judge is determined. But if there is harm, 
Then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If the baby is harmed, then there's going to be a requirement from the one who harmed the woman who had the baby in her womb. And if this harm came and she miscarried at the very, very beginning of her pregnancy, what was going to be required of the person who harmed her in the fight? His life. His life. Even the law of God in the Old Testament shows that life before being born had significant value to God as a human being. So much so that if a baby is harmed while in the womb, especially if a baby was killed, caused to be miscarried, then the person who did that would forfeit their own life. How important to God is the life of a child in the womb? Very. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In this passage, we see the unborn child is considered a person in such a way that if he or she is unjustly harmed, the person who caused the harm will be judged. It is clear throughout the Old Testament that human life was considered to be more valuable than an animal's because we are created in the image of God. It is also clear in the Old Testament that the idea of personhood begins before conception in the eyes of God. And after conception, God provided laws protecting the unborn baby from being unjustly harmed. I want you to know that the New Testament is not quiet on the issue of abortion. The New Testament also clearly shows the unborn are considered to be persons made in the image of God. And let's take a look at the New Testament witness here. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 8. This is the birth of the John the Baptist foretold. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Luke is recording what Zechariah was doing at this time. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. If you read these verses at face value, we find that Zechariah and Elizabeth both would have considered Elizabeth's unborn baby to be what? A person. What did they already know his name was going to be? John. I went through three pregnancies with Kathy. And as we went through the nine months, we always referred to the baby as him or her. It wasn't an it. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a possibility. It was what? Our child. 
It was our baby. And this is the whole idea that Zachariah and Elizabeth, because of what God said, would have considered the child in her as being what? A person. As a person. They had already been given instructions on how to raise him after his birth. They knew he would be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. They would, not have, they would have no concept that the baby would become John after his birth. It was what? Baby John when? As soon as she was pregnant. It was baby John. They would have not had any idea that it was something other than their son. The story continues six months later, and Mary conceives our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. So jump over to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. They were cousins. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Notice that Elizabeth already considered Mary to be a mother, even though Jesus wasn't born yet. She goes, the mother of my Savior. Elizabeth already considered Mary to be a mother, even though Jesus hadn't been born yet. Did you notice that Elizabeth's baby leapt for joy? What does that mean about the baby in the womb? The baby in the womb can feel emotions. The baby in the womb can react to things happening. And we have to understand that. Even in the New Testament, we see this idea that the baby in the womb, at whatever level of development, is considered a person. The New Testament is not silent on the issue of abortion. The New Testament gives additional witness that unborn children are considered fully human even before they are born. The Bible, both Old and New Testaments, reveal clear truths that human life is radically different than animal life because mankind is made in the image of God. Human life begins at conception. Human life is precious to God even before birth and therefore should be protected from harm. We see this, these points in both the Old and the New Testament. And we need to recognize that as God's people through faith in Jesus Christ, in light of the clear teaching of the Bible, we must stand against abortion. We must stand against the taking of a human life before and after birth. So what must we do? What must you and I do to stand up and say, this is wrong? Abortion is not right. It is the taking of a human life. That conception is the beginning of life. What must we do? First, we must pray. We must pray. Pray for the safety of every, every in, unborn child. Pray for safety of every unborn child. Pray for those who are leading the fight against abortion. There are so many people who have dedicated their lives to the fight against abortion. Not everybody is called to that. But we must pray for those who are leading the fight against abortion, that they would not grow weary in the fight. It took 50 years of fighting to overturn Roe versus Wade. 
And we must not allow ourselves to sit back and rest in that. We must pray for those who are leading the fight against abortion. We must pray for the mothers who are considering getting an abortion. Pray God would open their eyes to the truth of what they are getting ready to do and that God would open their hearts to love the child they are carrying. We need to pray. You say, well, I don't know anybody right now. But there are thousands and thousands of women out there right now, today and tomorrow and the next day, who are making the choice of whether to abort the baby or not. And we need to be in prayer, not only for the unborn child, but for the mother. For the mother. And often, and it's sad, and sometimes it's unintentional, women who have chosen to have an abortion are vilified. And we mustn't do that. We need to pray for women and family who have already experienced an abortion in their lives. We must pray for the women and families who have already experienced an abortion in their lives. Abortion brings so much pain and guilt and anger and sorrow and grief to so many. They need to see the compassion of God shining through us. They don't need to see our condemnation. This doesn't mean that we support what they chose to do. It only means that we understand that they believe the lies of Satan just like we do and like we have so many other times. We must not vilify them. We must pray for them. We must, first and foremost, begin our fight against abortion with prayer. This needs to be on our lips every day. This needs to be on our minds and our hearts every day, knowing. And it's so easy for us just to live our lives and go uh, walk through life and, and work and play and, and recreate and have holidays and forget that 930,000 abortions last year. How many abortions are going to take place in the time that we are talking about it this morning right now? Thousands of babies are going to die in the time that we're talking about this right now. And second, we must know the truths of God's Word. Our opinion about abortion means nothing unless it is based on God's Word. If it is our opinion then it's no different than any other opinion that's out there. It carries no weight more than any other opinion out there unless it is based where? In God's Word. We saw this morning some of what God's Word says about the sanctity of human life. And we must not leave here this morning and just set back what we have learned on the back burner and eventually forget it. We must review what we've learned about the sanctity of life. We need to let it seep into our hearts and our minds so that we can accurately recount to others what God's Word has to say about abortion. We don't need to be quiet in this day and age, in our culture, about what abortion is. We need to be vocal, appropriately so. We need to be upfront and stand firm about what we think about abortion. And if we're not, then what we're saying is, I am not going to care about those unborn children who are going to die today. We must review, like I said, what we have learned. We must know where God stands on the issue, and then we must stand where He stands. And no other place is as firm as where He stands. Thirdly, in light of those truths of God's Word, we must clearly, firmly, but with compassion, mercy, and grace speak out for the right of every unborn child that we can. We need to offer our support to organizations and individuals who work tirelessly to stop as many abortions as we can. We need to be clear. We need to be firm, but with grace and with mercy. Many of us have seen pictures and videos of people standing along the side of the road, picketing abortion in a wrong way, being even mean to women who are going into abortion clinics, 
trying to guilt them into not going into the building. That is not what God wants us to do. God wants us to stand on His Word, be clear about his, what His Word speaks, but doing it in a kind and gentle and loving way, even if they disagree. Fourthly, we must exercise our right to vote as citizens in the United States in a way that protects the unborn child. We must exercise our right to vote as citizens in the United States in a way that protects the unborn children. Folks, we have so many freedoms that other people in other nations can't even imagine. And voting in fair elections is one of those great privileges that we have. Few nations give their people the right to vote like we do. And we not, need not to squander those privileges that we have to vote for our leaders and vote for the life of unborn children. And I'm going to speak to every young adult here right now. If you are of age to vote, if you can register for vote and you're over 18 years of age, you need to go down sometime this week and get registered to vote. Don't put it off. Don't wait till another day because what will happen is the election will show up that quick and you'll go, oh, I didn't do it. For every young adult here, you need to register, you need to study, you need to look at the, at, at the candidates, and you need to say, Lord God, what would you have me to do? And you need to either stay up late, go to, after work, or get up early to go to the polls, and you need to vote. There are so many young people who are just letting it go because it's inconvenient to go do it. And sometimes we find ourselves, even as older adults, ah, my vote doesn't mean anything. Ah, uh, this doesn't do this. Or, no, nah, I, I just don't have time today. Folks, that is a privilege given to us by God, by allowing us to live in the United States, that we must not lay aside, especially when we have the ability to at least make through our vote a statement saying that abortion is the killing of an unborn child, and I will not stand for it, and I will not vote in a way that stands. And finally, we get to review something we have covered for months, stay on mission. We're not fighting abortion for abortion's sake. Yes, we want to protect the unborn. Yes, we need to stand where God stands. But we do this so that while we're doing it, we have an opportunity. We take this opportunity to do what? Present the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want abortion to become such an issue that the gospel takes a back seat. We want to use the issue of abortion, the issue of what God says in His Word, and to approach it in a way, and to pray about it in a way where we say, Lord God, as I'm dealing with this, as I'm voting, as I'm talking to friends and neighbors, as I am fighting for the life of unborn children, please give me the opportunity, open the door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is our primary mission. Our primary mission is not to stop abortion. Our primary mission is to use the negative thing of abortion and turn it into a positive to do what? Present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's our primary mission. Can we stop what's going on? Don't know. Probably not. Can we hinder what's going on? Absolutely. Can we stand right before God, having done everything in our power as Christ followers to protect the children that are going to be killed through abortion? Absolutely. Because the war, as you see, is not over. And this war will never be over. And it deserves our time, 
It deserves our finances. It deserves our prayers. It deserves our love. And it deserves us putting ourselves on the line for the sake of an unborn child. So as we close this morning, I want you to just think about how many children will lose their lives in the time that we are here right now this morning. And let's bring those children and those families to the Lord right now. Father God, this is a sensitive subject. It is a hard issue to talk about. It is divisive. But Father, you told us, you've warned us that we're going to be in the minority and that we will be persecuted when we speak your words and stand where you stand. Father, I pray that each person here, every Christ follower here this morning would take a stand, that they would use every opportunity they have to save an unborn child. And Lord God, we pray for the mothers right now who are having to choose, am I or am I not? And Father, I pray, oh Lord, I pray that you would move their hearts and their minds to say, no, I will not allow my child to be aborted. And Father, we pray that there would be people around her whether that be a family or a church or an outside organization that would walk alongside of her in her fear and her wondering what's going to happen to my life if I have this child, to give support, to give wise counsel. And Lord God, I ask that you would draw her heart to yours if she's unsaved, that she would begin to see how her baby is also your child as a human being. Lord God, I ask and I pray that you would be with those who are suffering now because they've had an abortion, because they feel guilty, because they're haunted by it. I pray, Lord God, that you would walk alongside of them and bring people into their lives that can show them that even they in that situation can be totally forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray for the upcoming elections, that we would be wise, that we would be discerning, and Lord God, I pray that there would not be the numbers in the House or the Senate to push through legislation that would make abortion legal in all 50 states, no matter what. And Father God, I also pray that we would be strong, that we would be caring, and that we would be vocal in sharing your word with a world that needs to see human life as you do. In Christ's name, amen.